So today, I want to continue to speak about Second Peter, and it's going to be kind of an, ex- an extension of last week's message. Last week, we spoke about the terminology of the end days, the day of the Lord, the rapture, and the second coming. And today, we're going to be talking about the age of the Antichrist. Fun times, right? Um, by the way, did you pick up a paper in the back. If you don't, I would encourage you to have one because we're going through a lot of material today and the notes that I have, I hopefully will help you uh, stay with us. So today, as we talk about the age of the Antichrist, we're going to be finding more and more about really what is happening in the day that we're living in and what's going to happen soon and immediately after the Holy Spirit is taken out of the world in the form of the church being raptured. So let's, uh, let's just dig into this today. First of all, I want you to know that the term Antichrist does not mean that they're, that they're negating Christ. They're not trying to erase Christ. They're not trying to say the Antichrist doesn't say that Christ doesn't exist. What it is, it's a replacement effort. So that the Antichrist, this, this man, this, well, first of all, the spirit of Antichrist has been around forever. It's been replacing Christ of the Bible with the Christ of the age of the, the, the devil of this world or the God of this world, which is Satan. Satan's plan is to overthrow Christ. That has always been his plan. And so when he has the spirit of Antichrist, what he's trying to do is say, no, I'm the Christ. I want to be worshipped like Christ. And so he's not trying to say Christ isn't. He's trying to say, Christ, I am. And so the Antichrist in the spirit and in the person that's coming, it's a replacement for Christ in today's world and so that the world would, re- would worship and honor the Antichrist as the Christ. So let's just understand what Antichrist really means. So last week, our text was first was Second Peter chapter three verse ten, and that's where we're still at today. Uh, just stand with me. Let's read this together one more time, and then uh, let's pray. Second Peter chapter three verse ten. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Let's pray. Father, help us again today as we dig into this word a little bit more and give us more truths and more understanding of what you would have us to understand today in the world that we're living in so that we are prepared to stand against the evils and to stand for the good. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So there's really so much to talk about when it comes to the day of the Lord like we did last week. And so I want to talk a little bit more about what's going to happen and who's going to be in charge once the church and the Holy Spirit that is protecting the church or protecting us from the evils of the Antichrist, when, when, the, when the Holy Spirit is taken out of the world and the church is raptured, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And what are the preparations that we need to do in advance of that. So why do I teach this? Let, let's just st- t- stop for a minute. Why are we even teaching about this? All right. Well, first of all, we're teaching it because it's biblical. <laughs> because it's in the Bible. <laughs> so if we're going to be a Bible-believing, a Bible-teaching church, let's, pre- let's preach what's in the Bible. So it's biblical, first of all. Secondly, it's to educate and prepare us to see the enemy's plan. To understand what his strategy is so that we're not taken surprised by it. So that we're not one of those that are fooled and deceived. Thirdly, it's to comfort us in scary times. Because these are scary times. Especially for the world that have no hope. This is a scary time that we're in right now because we just don't know what to believe anymore. There's so much untruth. In fact, I heard this saying and I'm never going to forget it. It was uh, by a Nazi propagandist. It says, if you lie once, it remains a lie. If you lie a thousand times, it becomes the truth. Think about it. You, rely, you, you lie once, it remains a lie. You lie a thousand times, and it becomes the truth. And that's what's happening 
around us. And that's the main ploy of the Antichrist because he is empowered by Satan. And what is Satan? A liar. What is he the father of? Lies. That's all he is about. So is there any wonder why we're having so many lies being told to us today? And those lies are being told enough that they're becoming truth. So we need to stand up. We need to be aware of that. We need to know the enemy's plan, and we need to know a strategy. So that's why we talk about him. We don't run from this topic. No, we dig into it, and we hit it head first. We run right into it because we want to know what he's up to. The fourth thing is to know that God is still in control. No matter what is going on, God is still in control. I have no fear. When my God and your God, our Father in heaven, still says, guys, I've got this thing, why should I fear? Amen? And then the last reason, one of the last reasons, is it encourages us to continue to share the gospel. It should motivate us to get out and share the gospel message with people that don't know Christ because we know what's coming and it's not good. And if we don't get motivated by this, nothing will motivate us, I believe. So we need to understand what's going on. We need to know who the Antichrist is. We need to know about the spirit of the Antichrist. And we need to then get motivated to do something about it. And the most important thing is, is not just do what we have to do to protect our country. We need to do what we have to do to promote those that know that with us that we're just journeying through this country and we're going to one of two places, heaven or hell. And we don't want to go any we don't want anyone to go to hell. We got we want to go to heaven. So how do we do that? We have to educate, we have to we have to share the gospel. So that's what we do. That's why I'm teaching about this today. So I really feel that that's what we need to do and I hope you're okay with it because it's to our benefit that we stay prepared. It's our benefit because some may say, Mike, you talk about the rapture too much. Mike, you talk about end times too much. People are going to stop listening to you. They're going to stop coming to your church. <laughs> They'll think you're like the little boy that cried wolf, right? Because you've been talking about it too much. I've been hearing about it all my life, and probably you have too if you've been in the church. So... Many people will say, stop talking about it. But I'm not going to. I think that's one of the most important things that we can talk about is the end times because that's what we're living in. And for those that don't feel that way, let me ask the question, what's worse, to be overprepared for something or to be underprepared for something? What's worse? Especially if the event that we're preparing for is a a once-in-a-lifetime event. (laughs) The rapture is going to happen one time. And if I'm not prepared for it, I'm going to miss it. So I would much rather be over-prepared than under-prepared for that event. In fact, I will just say, you cannot be over-prepared for what's going to happen. So we're going to talk about it. I'm going to continue to speak about it. I think it's so much. I think it's so important that I'm not doing it in any way to uh, scare people or any way to um, be negative. It is a very positive message of preparation, so that we understand what's going to happen and how we can hopefully bring others along with us. Are you okay with that? Thank you. So let me just say this. Everything that happens, happens as a result of a process of happening. Got it, Jackie? Everything that happens, everything that happens, happens as a result of the process of happening. Nothing happens spontaneously without a cause or a warning. Even the things that surprise us, they have a preparation time of happening. Let me give you an example. I got a balloon. I'm going to blow up this balloon until it pops. 
<laughs> How much bigger is it going to get? I'm getting kind of dizzy. What's going to happen? Did it still scare you? Even though I could tell you that pop, that balloon is going to pop, you saw the process happening, but it still scared you when it happened, right? Nothing happens without the process first of the happening in the process. So that's exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us right now about the end times. He's describing the process of what's going to happen when the trumpet blows and we're raptured and we're taken out of this world. So it is with the coming of the Antichrist. See, he just won't magically appear on the scene and be who he says he is. No, the, there's, there are signs all around us that he's coming. There's signs all around us that he's preparing himself and preparing the world. That's why all these things that we're seeing happening should not surprise us because it's just laying the foundation for the Antichrist to come to be the world ruler that he's prophesied to be, to set up a one-world religion, a one-world government, a one-world currency, the mark of the beast, Right? Everybody, this is only just a training ground for what's going to happen when the rapture takes place and the Antichrist is revealed in his person form. So let's not be surprised by it. Let's not get alarmed over it. Let's recognize that everything is happening to fall in place because the process of happening must happen. And that's exactly what is going on. You've heard the story, like I have, about the little frog in the pot of boiling water, right? If that water is boiling and you throw that frog in, what's that frog do? He jumps out, if he can, immediately because it's hot. But if you put that same frog in that kettle of water when it's cool, nice and comfortable for him, and slowly turn the heat up, that frog will just swim around in that water until it boils himself to death. He won't know to jump out because he's acclimated to the water temperature. That's what a cold-blooded animal does. So we are like that frog. And if and see, the devil, he's smart. Let me just tell you, the devil is smart. He knows that if we just go along and all of a sudden he, he flips the switch where it goes from good to evil, we're going to see it right away and we're going to react to it. But when he turns it up a little bit at a time and it gets a little bit more evil, 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 and we're just kind of accepting it. I mean, think about it. 1973, 1970, 73, they, Roe versus Wade. We've been killing babies for how many years is this? 40 years, 50 years? 60, 70 million babies have been killed. LGBTQ issues. Adds on a little bit more. See, it's just turning up a little bit at a time. So now we're starting to see it. And now we need to take action against it. So I think it's important for us to understand, for us to understand more of what the Bible says about the Antichrist. The, he's coming in two forms. The spirit of the Antichrist is already here. It's been here since Jesus died on the cross. He's been, it's been here forever. The spirit of the Antichrist, again, it's not saying that Christ doesn't exist. It's a replacement theology of Christ. That's what the Antichrist is. The spirit is replacing Christ with their own version of Christ, the enemy's version of the Christ. The second form is going to be in the person of the Antichrist. And we won't know who the person is until after the rapture takes place and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists Antichrist have come, but which, by which we know that it is the last hour. Right? So the, the, the writer of John, the writer of this testament, is saying that 
the Antichrist has been here, but now it's the last hour and he's only going to get more intense in his spirit of Antichrist. But the Antichrist won't be a surprise appearance. Just like it didn't surprise you when this balloon burst. Still scared you. You still jumped. It scared me. And I knew I wasn't blowing it up. But there are going to be signs that the spirit of the Antichrist has been here. But what makes it different now than it was before? What's going to make the signs different? Well, so we're going to talk about the signs that will tell us it is the last hour. What are the signs? Who is the Antichrist? What will his mission be? When will he come on the scene? See, those are the things that we need to be aware of. According to the Bible, in the last days, the spirit of the Antichrist, it's a, uh, it's a satanic, a spiritually satanic opposition to God and all that he has accomplished through the work of Christ. The Antichrist is not just a man that's very gifted. No, it isn't. It's a satanically inspired, possessed man. Powerful man in that right. And he will come in the form of Christ. And he will be here to replace the Christ. This man will be an influential leader in the world. His role will be to engineer Satan's final attempt to overthrow Christ. And he will be revealed after the church is raptured out of this world. That's who, that's who the person of the Antichrist is. So we're moving from just the spirit of the Antichrist now into the person of the Antichrist. Paul uses a couple different terms to describe the Antichrist as the man of lawlessness and the, moon, the man doomed to destruction. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3, he says, Do not let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day will come, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. The Bible uses other names as well. In fact, I'm, I don't want to take the time to read this today, but go to Revelations chapter 13 and read that chapter. And that will describe to you in great detail the Antichrist. A little bit hard to read, understand. There's a lot of figurative speak there. But it's important that you recognize that the Antichrist is coming and who he is. So what are some of the signs of the soon coming arrival of the Antichrist? What are we looking for? According to the Bible, the rapture will come at a time when no one expects it. And it will occur without any other warnings that we already have. Nothing is going to, no, we don't require any other warnings to step for the rapture. The rapture's already been, we've already know it's any time. But the Antichrist, however, will also have several signs pointing to the rival, his arrival and to his rise of power. So what are these signs? There's three major signs that I want to talk about. Number one, the secret power of lawlessness that is already present in the world will greatly increase just prior to his arrival. Number two, the rebellion must come. And then the last thing that must happen before he arrives is the one who holds him back must be taken out of the way. So let's talk about these three signs. Number one, the secret power of lawlessness. What is that? That is referring to all the behind-the-scenes activities that is evident throughout the world. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Now, we don't have to go very far in our imagination to see what this means. This is talking about all the things that are happening right now that are evil in the world. And there is a number of things that are just not godly that are happening in the world because the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. The secret power of the Antichrist is already at work. He doesn't declare himself, the Spirit doesn't declare itself as the Antichrist, but it is, and it's doing its work. And it's, getting incre it's increasing in intensity and power, and it will continue to do so until the end comes. It's only going to get worse. It's going to get more evil. And this evil is in the form 
of the enemy's plan to deceive and trap us into rejecting Christ and everything biblical. It's evident in the church even in the forms of compromise and deception that's getting into the lives of people that profess to know Christ, profess to teach Christ, but yet there is a an effort to bring compromise into God's word. And it's happening, guys, isn't it? I mean, just look around us. How obvious is it? It involves a movement against true biblical faith and God's moral laws. People don't want to hear God's truth anymore. They want to hear the easy things. They want to hear the things that agree with their philosophies. This seeks a freedom from all moral restraint, and it takes pleasure in all of its form and puts that over godliness, that we would worship pleasure. We would worship our own desires. The enemy is that deceptive that even in a church world, he can work very effectively. Just know how deceptive the enemy is. And I know this for a fact because even in Paul's day, 2,000 years ago or so, in Paul's day, the enemy was already prevalent and working because that's why Paul was talking about it. If Paul didn't see the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist alive, why would he even speak to the churches about it? It was already evident then. So if it was evident then, just how much more evident is it going to be today? And one of the signs that the, the coming is near is that this power of lawlessness will only continue to increase. It will only get more severe as the days go on. And it will be characterized by Ridicule, rejection, rebellion against all of God's standards. And the sad thing is that people that should know better will lose a true love and a true compassion for God and his word. And not only will they lose it for God and his word, but they'll lose the love and compassion for each other. The Bible says you will know who we are by the fact that we love each other. But when we stop loving each other, then, we can, then we're confusing the world. And it's, again, it's, it's happening all around us. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus speaks about it. The 24th chapter of Matthew, verses 10 through 12, it says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go cold. Isn't that sad to think that? Even so, thank the Lord, there will be a small remnant. Jesus goes on and says that in the next two verses, in verse 13 and 14. He says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come, but there will be a great falling away. And that takes me to the next point. The rebellion must come. The rebellion. The rebellion is the great apostasy or falling away of the church. We don't like to talk about that, do we? We don't like to talk about an apostasy. We don't like to talk about the fact that we're going to fall away. But my, my Bible commentary says it this way. In the last days, many people who once followed Christ will abandon biblical truth and reject, reject true faith in Christ. See, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24, how this is going to happen. And Peter talked about it, and as we've been talking about Second Peter for the last number of weeks, and what was his, what was his major teaching in First Peter and Second Peter was warning the church, warning the church, talking to the church about false teachers, false prophets, coming into the church, coming outside the church and coming in the church, because it was going to be leading it was the spirit of antichrist already working in the church and peter was trying to warn the church jesus is trying to warn the church 
so that we're not taken by surprise. Paul describes it in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Pretty strong words, but this talking about today. That's 1 Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Timothy is hearing the same, similar words from Paul. And this time he says, For the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We're a Bible-believing church. We preach what the Bible says. And this is what the Bible says will happen in the end days. So we're seeing it. So let's be warned by it. This will be a moral, spiritual, and doctrinal rebellion by these people that should know better. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. Remember, the person of the Antichrist hasn't even been revealed yet. We're only talking about the spirit of the Antichrist right now. And he's already at work, and he's doing his work. So this rebellion will have two dimensions. It will have a theological apostasy where teachers and pastors fail to teach the real truths of, God word, of God's word. Theologically, we'll have deception. And this gives way to a cheap, easy way to be saved. Just say the words. Now, I want to be careful here because we're not earning our salvation. We get that, right? We're saved by grace alone. And it comes through the saving grace of Jesus Christ that we say, Father, forgive me, I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me, I'm sorry. And he will. But if we leave it there, it becomes cheap because we don't plan on changing our life to live it that way. So there comes to have to be a change of lifestyle too. We have to invite the Holy Spirit not just to save us, but to change us. And when he changes us, he changes our desires and he changes our hearts so that we don't want to do the things that would displease him anymore. That's starting to move into a spirit where we do not let the Antichrist spirit deceive us. And then there is the moral apostasy. And a moral apostasy refers to a person or a church claiming to be in right relationship with God, yet rejecting God's moral standards and teachings of holiness. So by doing this, that this, this teaching then corrupts the truth and it embraces the deception of tolerating almost anything for the sake of pleasure for the individual and attendance and tithing for the church. <laughs> because we don't want to say anything to offend anybody. We don't want them not to like our church. Certainly don't want them to stop giving in their offerings. So we'll just teach them the easy things, the things that give them pleasure, the things that tickle their ears. See, that's a moral apostasy where we're losing our, we're losing our moral standards, our moral compass. It's been shaken. It's been broken. We don't know which way is up and which way is down anymore. And we don't want to offend anybody. Paul describes both of these forms of apostasy this way, again, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He says, but mark this. When you say, but mark this, this must be important. Okay? So listen to this, is what he's saying. There will be ter terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Then he says in verse 5, have, have, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. So he just gave a big list. And I think that what the enemy will do is when preachers start talking like this, they'll think 
they'll, they'll automatically make you think that the pastor is talking about you. And I don't want you to think that. Because I'm not saying this to beat people up. I'm not saying this because I'm saying that you're any of these. I'm just saying this to describe the times that we're living in. Because I think if you look around us, I think you see all these adjectives being played out by people in and out of the church at different times in life. And, and maybe sometimes they apply to us. There may be times where I may be conceited. I may have a, a lover of, I may be a lover of pleasure sometimes more than a lover of God. And so I think it's important that we take these lists and, and rather than just assume that they're all about you <laughs> or none about you, maybe we just take and say, Lord, which, is the, which are the ones I need to be concerned about? <laughs> which ones are affecting me? Because I don't want to be part of this list at all. And most importantly, I, don't want, I just don't want to have a form of godliness without God's power. You know what that's called? Religion. Oh, I'm a religious person. I go to church. Right? But there's no relationship there. So this is so evident, so obvious around us today. Paul goes on in 2 Thessalonians and he has some more things to say. Again, I'm just trying to make you aware the Bible teaches about what's happening today. So Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-4, through 4, he says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Let me stop here for a minute. The people of this day, the people in the early church were already thinking, already believing that the rapture of the church could happen at that time. And there was even a teaching that it already had happened, and these people had been left behind. So Paul is now educating the people and saying, no, 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 you're missing it, guys. He hasn't returned yet. He could but he hasn't. And so Paul has now just given the Thessalonians some teaching and the fact that he hasn't returned yet, but this is what it's going to be like when he is going to come. So let's continue to read in verse 3. He says, Do not let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Verse 4, He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Remember how we described that the Antichrist is not negating Christ? Rather, it's a replacement theology? Right here, he will oppose and exalt himself up over everything that is called God. And he wants to be worshipped. And so he sets himself up as God. That's what the Antichrist, the person of the Antichrist is going to do. But the spirit of the Antichrist, which is alive today, is preparing his path forward. Remember blowing up the balloon? He's blowing up the balloon. He's preparing the happening. And that's what's going on in the world right now. So the third thing, the final thing that must happen is that the one who now holds him back must be taken out of the way. And this is the final event that must happen before his identity is revealed. Before the spirit of the Antichrist turns into a form of a man, the Holy Spirit must be taken out of the world in the form of the rapture of the church. See, the power of the Holy Spirit today is restraining evil from happening. I say that with tongue in cheek because look at the evil around us. If you think it's evil now, just wait. Just wait until the spirit of the Holy Spirit is removed and the Antichrist is released to do whatever he wants to do. You see, the tribulation is the wrath of God, but it's also the wrath of the Antichrist because he's trying to do what he has to do to establish himself as God. So when the rapture happens and the church is taken out of the world, when the Antichrist is revealed 
all of his power of evil will be unleashed on the world as well. And by definition, then, that is the, the, the beginning of what we talked about last week, the day of the Lord. It's the beginning of the day of judgment. So let's go back and read what we started in 2 Thess Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about that he must be unleashed or, or that the Holy Spirit must be taken out. 2 Th Thessalonians 2, verses 6 through 8, and it says, And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the, re at the proper time. Remember, this is talking about the, the, the person of the Antichrist to be revealed at the time. The Holy Spirit is holding him back right now because the Holy Spirit is still here. All right? Verse 7, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. There is a power of the Holy Spirit here that without it, we would have no hope. We would have no hope. But thank the Lord the Holy Spirit is here protecting us, holding things back. Here's something that's really interesting that I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just now starting to see. I, uh, in all the teaching that I've had up to my, now, I've always, you know, we've always known that the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out with the church. And I think at that point we knew that, and I assumed that the Holy Spirit would be totally removed from the earth. But I'm seeing it different now the more I study it. And that the Holy Spirit is going to be removed from the world in the form of the church in the perspective of stopping evil from being on an unleashed rampage. That's, he will be gone. So the, the Antichrist will have complete rule at that time, and he will be able to destroy what he wants to destroy. God has taken his hand off of the protection of the world. But yet the Holy Spirit will still be here for those that would be able to receive Christ in the tribulation time. And I think the reason that we were never taught that is because we didn't want to mislead ourselves into thinking that I can live any way I want to right now and get saved in the tribulation. I can live my life right now. I don't have to get saved right now. I can do my partying and I can do my whatever I want with my girlfriend and boyfriends and I can do everything. I can live the way I want to live right now B because if I knew that I could get saved in a tribulation, then I would just live my life now and I would have the best of both worlds. But I think the concern is here, so, so we were never taught that. We were taught you, you, you missed the rapture, it's over. And the reality is it still might be that way because if it's my intention right now, to live that way, I may not have opportunity after the rapture happens. In fact, I don't think I will. But there is going to be a harvest that's coming in the tribulation for those that didn't know what you and I know. I think the church in America, for most of us in America, we've been given enough warning, enough insight to know that this is it for us. But there are people in this world and maybe that haven't been had the teachings, that there will be an opportunity for them to be saved in the tribulation. And I will give you the why I believe that as we, get through, we go through here. Because the Bible talks about a great falling away. We've just talked about it, right? The rebellion must occur. The, great, the apostasy must fall away. But it also talks about a great harvest. It also talks about the end-time harvest. And so it almost seems contradictory. What is it going to be? Is it going to be a great falling away? Or is there going to be a great revival? Or is there going to be a great harvest? Well, this might answer the question a little bit if we understand more in the context. Let me just give you a hint. As far as God's concerned, his intention is for all people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. It's not his desire for any man to perish. So he's going to give every man a good opportunity to receive Christ. And now we have to fast forward a million years. Okay? Let's fast forward a million years. What difference does it make in a million years from now 
if the person received Christ before the rapture or received Christ after the rapture, as far as God's concerned. So in saying there must be a great harvest before the rapture, I don't know if that's biblical or not. I'm not saying it's not. I just don't know. I'm, I'm wondering. I'm trying to say we could get ourselves in a position to say the rapture can't happen because we haven't seen a great harvest yet. Well, the great harvest may not come until the tribulation. And those, the great harvest might be of those that were saved in the tribulation period. Not necessarily now. Because in God's perspective, what difference does it make when the harvest occurs as long as it occurs? You see, it's, it's, his, it's his desire that every man and woman and child right now would receive Christ. And why wouldn't you, in all honesty? Because it is a great pleasure to serve God. I mean, there is nothing more free in life than to have a free conscience of serving God today. So there is no reason why we shouldn't. And anybody says I could have more fun in the world than I can have serving Christ, they have no idea what they're talking about. They're fools. Because you don't have more fun in the world than you have with Christ. This is the freedom. This is where we live. This is the hope. So there's no good reason why we don't get saved right now, other than the fact that you're rebellious. There's no good reason. So let's continue on here so that we can see the fact that the great harvest may come in the tribulation and we still, might have, we still will have the great falling away today. So let's read on. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. It says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, listen, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. What I'm saying is that right now you have an opportunity to serve Jesus. If so if your thinking is, well, I'll wait until the rapture happens and I get saved in the tribulation, God is sending a delusion so that you will believe the lie because you've already rejected him today. So don't, I, don't, it's, I don't think it's safe to think that you're going to be able to get saved after the fact because God is going to give you a delusion that you will believe the lie of the Antichrist. So it's a dangerous thing to play the game with God. So after the Holy Spirit power to restrain evil is removed, God will allow this delusion to come upon those that continue to resist and reject God. And for those today that are playing the game with God with one foot in the world and one foot in church, let me advise you with as much urgency as I can is to jump over the fence and get away from the world as far as you can and get into God's kingdom. Because you're not going to be able to if God's sending a delusion, no man will be able to fight that. It's a dangerous part of living in the proverbial fence. So the writer of Hebrews, I'm going I'm to tell you some more hard news because we have to hear it, but it's all good for us, right? The, the writer of Hebrews tells us some things. First, he gives us some good news. Here's the good news. First, Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 23 through 25. He says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. He's talking about the church. For he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. And then he says, Let us consider the how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. He's talking about the church right now. Come on, people. Encourage each other. Spur each other on to good deeds. All the more as we see the day coming. This is a time that we encourage the church. This is the time that we get excited about being a part of the church and getting a part of worship and being the church outside of the walls and all this good stuff. That's the good news. But he gives that in, so that he can give a proper context 
of the hard truth that's coming next. All right, just take a breath for a minute because this is going to be hard. I want you to understand this. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. Hard to read. It's kind of small. There's a lot here. Let's read it. This is immediately following what he just said. This is the next verse, so I'm not cutting anything out. This is in proper context. He says, For if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Let me stop right here for a minute. This doesn't mean that if you're a Christian and you make a mistake, that God's going to automatically condemn you to hell. All right? We all make mistakes. What we do is we repent continuously, every day. We keep our relationship pure. We keep it holy. We keep it fresh. We make mistakes. We repent. What this is saying, if we deliberately, that's the key word, if we, if we deliberately keep on sinning, Right? that I have no intention of asking for forgiveness. I'm going to deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. That's a man that is a Christian. This isn't a person that's never received Christ. This is a Christian man that, no, he sees the, the lure of the world is, is, is pulling him back in, and so now he's going to go back into the world of sinning, and so he deliberately sins. Let's read on. Verse 28, anyone who rejected the law of Moses, this is Old Testament law, died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them? Stop here for a minute. This is talking about the blood of Jesus on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He suffered greatly so that you and I could have redemption and forgiveness and relationship with his Father. So what the, the writer is talking about here, how much more severely do you think someone who deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, that's Jesus, who has rejected the blood of Jesus. And then continue on, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. People will say, we live in the era of grace. And they will use that as justification to say, I'll live any way I want to live because we, we don't live under law anymore. We live under grace. Therefore, I can do what I want to do because God's grace will forgive me again and again and again. And thank the Lord, he will. But it's when I'm honest in my mistakes this is not the man that deliberately sins thinking that I'll sin today and ask for forgiveness tomorrow. And let me tell you why I know this is true, because I used to live that way. That's called doing and hiding. I was brought up that way, and, and I, I'm, I've got to be careful, but I was taught how to do and hide pretty well, like most good church boys. And I'm saying that's not the way we live. That's a deliberately sinning and I can't say, the old, the old saying is, is, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than ask for, for permission. Well, that's really, you've got to be careful with that one. Because we can't continue to live our life that we want to live thinking that we're going to ask for forgiveness later. Because that's abusing, that's insulting the spirit of grace. Do we see how powerful that is? And then verse 30, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, a Bible commentary says this, the opportunity for spiritual salvation during the tribulation period will be offered to those living during that time who have not yet had an adequate opportunity to hear and understand the message of Christ. There are people in this world that have not had an opportunity to really hear the message of Christ. That person in the tribulation time may have an opportunity. I'm not saying they will for sure. I don't know. They may have an opportunity. 
But if they do, they will probably have to give their life for it. So the Holy Spirit's presence, even after the church has been taken out of the world, won't be to restrain the evil one, but it will be to help those that will then have an opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior, even if it means being beheaded. The Bible says no man comes to the Father unless he comes to Christ, and, and the, what brings him to Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws men unto Christ. So the Holy Spirit must be present at that time to draw people. That's why I believe that there will be a great harvest of souls in that time, even though they may have to die for their faith. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, um, verse 9. Do I have that? I don't. Okay, I'm going to read it. You don't, it's not on the screen. Revelation chapter nine, 7, verse 9, he says, This is John the Revelator now, taken up to heaven in a, in a vision. And this is what he sees. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. A great multitude that no one could count. Listen. From every tribe, from every nation, from every people, and every language, standing there before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. All right, now go down to Revelation chapter 7, verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These were martyred people in the tribulation that God saved, did not accept the mark of the beast, and they were beheaded for it. They were martyred. Not a good way to live. <laughs> if that happens, make sure you be the one to volunteer to sharpen the guillotine because you want one clean swipe. <laughs> this is serious stuff, guys. So that's the great tribulation. And that's the great harvest that's going to come out of it. Jackie, are you ready to help me end this? Great word of encouragement. You got a song picked up for this one, Jack? <laughs> so here's the question. Where are we at today? Because that's where we need to be concerned about. I'm saying all this so that we know what's coming. I'm saying all this so they're not surprised by it. But where are we at today? Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. That's what we're studying, right? Chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that's why the Bible constantly encourages us to accept Christ in the day that we're living in, because he wants all to come into repentance. If we have that assurance in our lives, then this is just all good information for us to know, but nothing that we have to live through. I don't mind knowing it, but I don't want to live through it. And I don't want you to live through it. I want us to be aware of it so that we can, we know that God will take us, protect us, ensure us hope, and give us a full life here on earth because like I've said already, there is no downside to living for Jesus. No downside. It's all hope and peace and joy and love. Knowing what comes to those that don't, that should give us, should motivate us to want to win those, share our love, share our, our faith with those. So this morning, I know most of us here probably are fine, but there may be those listening that really don't know their life, where they are with Christ. You can. 
You can by simply accepting the fact that Jesus is your Savior, asking Him to forgive you, but then living your life appropriately thereafter. Let's pray. Father, we've spoken about a lot today. And I pray, God, that you will just give us the ability to understand what you would have us to understand. Lord, we may not know perfectly what tomorrow holds. I mean, we're trying to read your word and try to discern the times the best that we can, doing the best we can with proper understanding. Lord, and even if we've missed the point here or there, we know for sure that your faithfulness is true and that you are sure to your promises and that you would have us all come to proper relationship with you because you want to enjoy relationship now with us just as much as you want to enjoy relationship there. So I pray, God, that all of us would have a desire. Father, if, if we find ourselves to be lacking in any way, would you forgive us? Would you lead us into righteousness and holiness? Would you teach us? Would, Holy Spirit, we give you the right, we give you the authority to work in our hearts and lives, to challenge us in areas, but that we would be carefully guarding our lives today, to be pleasing in your sight, to grow more in your knowledge of who you are. Help us, Father, to share this faith with others and open up the eyes of the unbelieving we ask this in Jesus name amen amen Jackie and Tom do you want to lead us in a song stand with me if you will you Father, we just come to you this morning and thank you for that promise, Lord, that we are all in you today. You are all that we need. So I just pray, Father, that we would just feel your presence today. 
just welcome you in our hearts and lives as we go throughout our week and go throughout our day. We just hold you in high regard, put you at the number one spot in our life, put you at the center point of who we are, and we acknowledge you as our Savior and our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to continue to worship, you can. The altars are open. We don't have to stop. If you want to pray, you're welcome to pray. Thank you, Jesus.